Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider. Each week, we invite different specialists to give advice and information about raising children in today's environment. Today's episode is with Elizabeth Barron, who is a mental health counselor and psychotherapist focusing on maternal health. She works with women prior to having kids, pregnant women, and women postpartum. And a lot of what we talk about is the impact that social media has on new parents, how everybody is an expert these days, comparing yourself less and really listening to your own instinct and how you feel about your child. We do talk about speech and language milestones and again, the comparison and the concern that many parents have as well as how to maintain a healthy relationship with your spouse. As a couple, it's very hard on you having a new child. So Liz really explains a lot of that to us, exactly what postpartum depression or anxiety really means and what the difference is. So I'm excited for you all to listen to her approach to mental health for women these days. Of course, we care about the child and their development and their delays and everything we need. My whole practice and ethos is about mothering the mother for this reason. Mothering right? the mother. I love because that. If I could tell anyone anything, it's when a baby's born, a mother is too. Today's Tata's tip of the week is using WH questions. What does that mean? Who, what, where, when, why? You can technically use how as well versus really using an open-ended question. So an open-ended question is one that can be answered with more than one word. But open-ended questions do tend to put a lot of pressure on your child. Even just saying to them, what do you want for dinner? Yes, it's a WH question, but it is allowing 20 different options. So I've given tips in the past saying, give them two or three options. Do you want chicken or pasta? That is great. But that also causes your child to answer with one or two word answers. Chicken, pasta, not much else. Yes and no questions require, again, a simple answer. Yes, No. So in order to expand on language goals, we really want to say to them, WH questions, what's your favorite food? Why is that your favorite food? Or, you know, if you want to talk to your child about their day, how was your day at school? Good. Okay. What did you do today at school? That's a WH question, the what, and you're saying to your child, what did you do? Did you go down the slide? Did you learn anything in class? So it's more than just a yes or a no answer. It's allowing your child to not feel pressure by just having this open-ended question because you are targeting it specifically to one part of their day, but also you're allowing them to answer with more than one word. So I always say, WH questions if you can make them child-specific. What did you do today? Where do you want to go after school? What type of activity do you want to do? Those are also helpful ways to expand on your child's language goals. I am very excited to welcome a friend of mine, Elizabeth Barron, who is a mental health counselor, psychotherapist, and you really focus on maternal health. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and what really inspired you to become this mental health counselor? Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here today. Andy, we've been talking about this for so long, and I'm so, so happy to yep. be here um, and and really learn more about also how you support so many, both new and expecting Absolutely. moms, too, down in Florida. So for me, my story started as a kid. I was always listening to people's stories. Um, as a young person, I have memories of just feeling the most comfortable when I was kind of one-on-one with people, always interested in what's beneath the surface. Yep. And um, while I was fun and athletic and, and super social, I do have memories of being obsessed with documentaries and things like 
Oprah, right? Just so many memories of feeling so connected to other people and really intrigued by everyone's story. So the combination of sort of paying attention to social dynamics and being such an empath at my core, I knew I wanted to spend my life helping to support other people during transition times and challenges and during meaningful and beautiful times too. But I wasn't sure how my career would fit into this. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe my career in education shouldn't totally match my personality. So I went more marketing communications first, which was another interest of mine. But after a few years and my own struggles with chronic health and some medical issues, as well as some hormonal challenges, there we go, maternal mental health, the writing was sort of on the wall. So I realized I wanted to listen to issues specifically related to women every single day, and that I could be involved in women's issues from more of a psychological lens than a medical one. And so um, I took a few internships and tried it all out, and I was realizing that all of my passions and interests were coming together. I was nurturing people, giving back, and I realized there weren't enough specialists understanding the most important thing that I think women do, which is becoming mothers. And that's really how I got involved. So I started to specialize. I arrived at a place called the Motherhood Center, which is a a treatment facility in New York City we're going to talk about later that specializes in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which is my real clinical niche and expertise. Um, And I feel like it's my gift and a population that I just love working with. Um, So today I have a private practice here in New York City where I treat moms, couples, families. I also am so passionate, which we're going to talk about educating new and expecting moms, but also communities of people about maternal mental health and destigmatizing these issues. And so I do a bunch of talks and webinars and education and all that good stuff. And that is exactly why I wanted you on this podcast, because I want to be educated. As you know, I work with new parents, moms, dads, but I have so many parents saying to me, am I doing the right thing? I'm so nervous. I'm anxious. It's my first child. And I think one of the things that I like to really put across to people is if this is your first child, you're not going to hurt them, you know, whether it's their speech and language, like there, there should be more of a community. And I think with Facebook and Instagram, there is more of a community that people can write in questions and we'll get to the whole social media. What I want to really ask you first. So I know you work with new moms and parents. I do as well in South Florida, New York, and we have so many parents who are overwhelmed they're scared, they're struggling to handle how they feel. How can I, how can everybody, and I know it's a very big general question, help support new moms and their mental health these days? What can we do to help? Yeah. I mean, first of all, just to have somebody else out there in the field who is so curious and interested and invested in mom's mental health, like game over. Everybody should be with you because I do think out there, one of the things that I love finding our resources like you who really want to focus on mom first. Well, of course we care about the child and their development and their delays and everything we need. My whole practice and ethos is about mothering the mother for this reason. Mothering right? the mother. I love because that. Yep. Mothering the mother. I mean, if I could tell anyone anything, it's when a baby's born, a mother is too, right? And I think I take for granted, as I as I read through some of the questions you sent ahead of time, I really do take for granted how close I am to the challenges that mothers exist in day in and day out emotionally. Because for me, it's like no biggie to talk about how hard it is to be a mom. Right. But You're a mom. So many little- By the way, do people, right. I don't know if people realize that. You're a mom of two. So you get it. Oh, my gosh. I get it. And actually, 
I worked with moms before I had children myself, but now that I have two little girls myself, I really get to share in the universality of motherhood yeah. with my patients, which I think is a beautiful blessing. It's relatable. It's, it's really relatable. And I think it helps me speak to some of the literature yeah. and then the real sort of experience, right? So anyway, back to like all these moms that are so overwhelmed and scared and struggling, like my answer first is, yeah, of course you are, mm -hmm. right? And how normal and appropriate. And for those women who don't have spaces like I do all day long with my moms who get to talk about how hard it is, you know, I, I kind of want to first normalize and give some permission to all of you to start to find places where it feels good to talk about the fact that two things can be true. We can both love being a mom and it can be really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I always liken it to other jobs. Like I told you in my intro, I didn't always know what I was doing, but I had supervision and places to ask questions and mentorship. But with parents, you arrive at a hospital, you're supposed to just have a car seat, you leave and everyone's like, I guess I should. There's our first should. You're going to hear me say should a hundred times. Like, I should know what to do. I should know if my kid needs help. I should know exactly how to sleep train or not sleep train or bottle feed or breastfeed. Like, no, we need to rally around moms and give them support and first give them permission to talk about the things that don't feel as blissful and sexy like it does in the movies. Like, that's not motherhood. It's messy. Right. Especially, right? you know, I... Again, I don't have children yet, but I have three beautiful nieces. And I remember my sister being in the hospital and I remember my first niece wouldn't latch on. And she started to immediately feel this guilt of I'm not feeding my child. And I kind of said, you know, just give her something. Like at this point, who cares if it's the breast, if it's a bottle, if it's, you know, whatever it is, it's like a fed child is a fed child, but you feel so much guilt an hour after your child is born. Fact. And, and Andy, I, I have now hundreds of patients who can remember the look from a lactation consultant in the hospital or the look from their OB when it was time to be rolled in for a C-section, which, right, like all these moments that moms begin to feel like, not only are they feeling guilt, et cetera, and I'm here to sort of say, if your sister in that moment had a best friend or a colleague or anybody, a, a sister-in-law, a mother herself, or you who texted her and said, my baby didn't latch immediately either. Yep. Wouldn't she have felt so much more in company versus alone? Absolutely. Right? Yep. So kind of going back to the idea of in company or alone, social media. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I believe that everybody thinks they are a professional. Everyone thinks that they are, you know, if you're a mom, you are the professional in this, uh, you know, world and you're posting and doing. And a lot of people think that they are psychotherapists on social media. A lot of people think they are speech therapists. How do you really suggest new moms protect themselves from the opinions of others when you're raising a child? First of all, can we have our own Zoom offline after this podcast day? Because- I could I could spend a whole day on yep. this, this question. Yep. You know, I struggle I struggle so much with this too. Um, a part of why I haven't launched, and I'm even coy about yeah. describing this sort of content this content platform that I've been working on for years, or this with Elizabeth thing yep. that I'm trying to get off the ground, is because I want my mom's off social. Yeah. Yet it's a marketing channel, and and it's noisy. I. I think for the population you and I treat, here's what I want to say about the social thing and why it's so dangerous. You know, our moms, mine and yours, want to do an amazing job. 
They don't want to miss anything. They want to learn. They're often perfectionistic, right? High achieving, pretty educated, but they want to be told what to do at the same time, which speaks into that, like nobody knows what they're doing. And I think that online, what's happening with social and these sort of pseudo professionals and the experts, by the way, who put out sometimes fabulous content, what happens is moms lose their own voice and moms don't have a chance, which I know we're going to talk about, right? To learn about themselves as a parent and what their child needs. So I can't tell you how many 45-minute therapeutic sessions are spent in my office talking about the script that maybe they read, or it's a grid from a speech, a speech pathologist, or it is a gentle parenting approach that they tried that is not working yeah. and mom feels shame or perhaps is starting to blame herself and or child. I mean, one of the things we want to just start to do is open up space for moms to ask themselves. Absolutely. You read this thing on social. Did it resonate? Mm. What worked? What didn't work? What do we need to do different? You know, we read something about anger and your child, but were you allowed to be angry as a child? Were you not allowed to be angry? Like, what does this look like? And I don't want to oversimplify it, but I feel like when someone goes to a grocery store and picks out a yogurt and if they don't like it and it doesn't work, they go back. There's 30 others. I wish social media felt like a place where it was different schools of thought mm -hmm. versus the right way and the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. am really struggling with all this noise out there from real fake Yep. All the things. Yeah. Look, you even know? professionals. I mean, look, I am using my Instagram as more of a marketing tool, but a lot of moms write in saying, can you give us tips? And I always kind of say this little bit of a stipulation is it's okay to not do what I say. And one of the videos I put up recently was about screen time. And I said, you know, if your child needs screen time because they are having a moment and you need them to just watch TV and let you breathe – that's understandable. There's just ways that you can kind of use it to your advantage. So I wish people, you know, even the experts, I wish that they could be saying, it's okay if you don't do this. This is just maybe what my advice is. That's okay that you don't take my advice. Yeah, it's so true. One of the things I think about on my platform that I want to do eventually is just to provide a space to encourage you to hear your own voice after I give my my idea, my interpretation, I think that's exactly what you're saying. And I just am in such agreement. I want to add that, you know, if, if someone took your post, which I thought was great, by the way, and shared it with their friend and said, Miss Rachel saves our lives so frequently about screen time. Well, then we're giving that woman permission to raise her hand and say, gosh, the mornings are really tough for me. I'm trying to tie it all together to how much more we need to be talking about the real stuff underneath, right? Social media, or maybe underneath the ways in which moms look at drop off or pick up or all the things. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And, you know, speaking of comparison, so going back to I'm a speech therapist, we have speech and language goals and milestones. They have changed a little bit since 2020 with COVID, children are just learning differently and their environments are differently. They might've missed a few things over the past few years. Um, I have moms calling me daily that they're concerned that their child is not talking. A boy isn't speaking as soon as his older sister, or, you know, they're comparing siblings, they're comparing to their friends. How do you suggest, especially for me, I'm a professional in this field, how do you suggest we guide these parents? So um, you can make it a more general answer, but comparison and comparing to other children, siblings, how do you suggest that I really help these parents with these, you know, the anxiety that they're having? 
I, I, I love the question because first, of course, I don't think you're going to be surprised now 10 minutes into our conversation that I say, how do you first validate this parent and sort of celebrate this mom for coming forward? I think, you know, could you imagine first saying something like, I get it, like being a mom and holding this responsibility of your child's development and success sounds like a big job yeah. and maybe too big. And I'm so glad you asked for help. And I'm here to help you figure this out. Let's partner and do this together. I think already, Andy, what's different about what you could do there is there's like a therapeutic relationship and rapport that we can develop with a client or a patient that a mom will never forget. Because I think what somebody else might say is, come into my office and I'll fix it. But is that really the point, right? Or is it that mom first also needs some space to even hear her own worries and thoughts? What was coming up for her that she called? Is it really about the sibling? Is it about the kids in school? Is it that she is projecting her own anxiety and her own worries onto the kids? I see that all the Very time. Often. I'm sure you do too. Yep. Um, but like, what would it be like to first give mom some space, right? And help mom to answer your question about comparing tune in versus comparing out, right? Absolutely. So that's one idea. I just also think that mom might already be having all these feelings about, did she miss something? Did she do something wrong? Did she make the wrong school uh, decision about a school that they sent to or didn't send to? Or And I would love to see more people be able to hold space outside of just the therapeutic clinical setting, yeah. 45 minutes with me a week. Yep where mom could then have a chance to be like, maybe I'm not so scared about milestones, but like, I just want someone to tell me I, I'm like kind of doing the right thing. Right. Or that I'm Reassuring. on the right path. Yep. Right? A lot of validating. Absolutely. And what you said before, I wrote down this quote, mothering the mother. So they might not be as anxious about coming to me about the speech and language milestones, but I need to really kind of develop this rapport and just validating how the mom is feeling. And I do think I do that. I'm like you, I am an empath, but at the same time, you know, I'm still a speech therapist and I'm still going to say, you know, if you are concerned, I'm happy to look into this. Most likely it's no big deal. We do a quick little session of fun play one. I just give you some tips. And I think that's yeah. what I like my moms and parents in general to know under a certain age, I'm not really working with the child. I'm really working with the parent and how they can work on development and just giving them the strength to feel comfortable to do things because they're probably doing it right. I just need to guide them a little bit. It's so, so true. And then how honorable to have a mom raise their hand and say, I need some help. And you be able to say like, this is what I see you doing great. And here's where I think we can work together. I mean, I think as a parent, somebody who can feel insecure, worried, unsure of themselves, like the mom we're talking about today, yep. whether she has an anxiety disorder or not, yeah. right? The connection there is essential. And, and then I think we'll also help that mother connect with their child, which really at the end of the day, I know you believe this, we could talk about this all day too, right? Like you give the tips and tricks and then it's their job to go do it right yeah. at home. And that's kind of the same with therapy. Yes. Like my job is to help that person go out into their world and be more successful. Right? Absolutely. And that is it. You're giving them the tools or the tips to do something. Same with the child, same with the parent. And then they have to do it. You kind of have to do, I mean, not that do what we say, but give them everything they need to go on a certain path. And then it's up to the parent to actually follow through and do. Our, our fields are actually quite similar. I'm having yep. that reaction. like it, But it really is 
you know, one of the things I love doing, which we need to again, have another meeting about is building teams around who need more support because nobody's going to do it for them. And as an aggregator of resources and feeling, you know, like a connector, which you are too, we really have more work to do to support moms together, you know? Absolutely. I always say I probably lead nine out of 10 episodes back to a collaborative approach. You know, I really do need to be suggesting that parents maybe speak to someone and that doesn't, it's not a negative. I think the idea of like a therapist being like, oh, she needs help. And I really want to get rid of that stigma that you have to be struggling to seek out help or you have to be struggling to speak with someone. Maybe it just feels good to vent to someone who's just like a third party and just kind of say your thoughts and feelings. And I think I'm happy that we have someone like you who focuses on this maternal health and just how moms, I mean, going from no kids to one kid, one to two, two to three. It's a struggle. So we need more people like you who understand it, but can also just validate their feelings, which I think is the most important thing here. Yeah, absolutely. And then thank goodness, now we have all these therapeutic modalities that are that are specific to this time period that if you're trained on, you know, we get to teach moms how to get, feel better and, yep. and how to be more successful in their lives and how to enjoy the parts of motherhood that they're not enjoying enough and how to yeah. let go of the parts that they're too sort of stuck with. Here, one Absolutely. of my in the back. That's okay. We hear her. Um, that works for us. Don't worry. Um, and look, you're a working mom. So again, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's not easy to do. So talking about treating. And you talk a lot about on your social and just different articles that I've read about PMAD. And I want you to explain to our listeners what PMADs are. How do you educate our families listening about treating this? And eventually we'll go into more postpartum depression, anxiety, and all of that. But can you explain to us what exactly it is? I'm so glad you're asking because if we were in a group of, you know, if we were in um, an in-person setting right now and I asked everybody who's heard of PMADs, like, one in 10, but everybody, of course, has heard of postpartum depression. And if and if anyone goes home with anything today other than mothering the mother and the importance of, of, of seeing mom first and foremost, it's that we have to use PMADS because PMADS stands for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. This mm. is a long-winded term. Yep. So we use the acronym PMADS instead, which speaks to an array of illnesses. PMADS is an umbrella term that helps us understand that it's not just depression that women are struggling with. It's anxiety, it's OCD, it's trauma, it's bipolar disorder, and in the most severe cases, psychosis. And the reason we also cannot just use um, postpartum depression and we need PMADs instead is because there's a huge misconception out there that you can only struggle in the postpartum. Whereas PMADs, using the word perinatal before and after pregnancy, helps us a, like understand truly that 50% of PMADs start in pregnancy. Women just think they're burnt out and tired and anxious and monitoring every single morsel of food they're putting in their body or changing their skincare to a degree that's unhealthy, right? There are places in which we really understand in the postpartum people have been struggling the whole mm-hmm. time. Wow. And so PMADs is this amazing acronym, which again, really, really gives us more space and it tells us too the commonality of, of how often people are struggling and also how treatable. I want everybody to know like these are treatable illnesses and we're gonna talk about that. The frequency is something we should just mention to everybody, how common the literature says yeah. one in five. Those of us who do this work know it's really like one in three. Yep. I'm gonna say in the pandemic, it was one in two because the uncertainty and the instability of the world plus 
those features of motherhood just took over Mm -hmm. um, everybody's life, right? So I'll I'll pause there because we're going to talk more about them in in a more intricate way. But this is what PMADs are, and we have to only use that acronym from this moment on. Do you treat moms before they have a baby? Do you treat them while they're maybe struggling with fertility issues? It seems as though your job is really needed so much sooner than the baby being born. It's funny because I think you just nailed it in in what kind of our society doesn't totally understand is what would it be like to educate and show up and support women in the preconception time period where there is infertility, when people are, by the way, secretive. I still don't know why, but secretive, where there's more anxiety, where there's shame or stigma in their family about having a baby, not having a baby, the decision-making process. Yep. And yes, the pregnancy. So I start, really I treat women, I like to say across the reproductive sort of lifespan. So from menses to menopause, but with a real interest mm-hmm. in the trying to conceive pregnancy, postpartum and parenting years. Interesting. So. And trying to conceive is becoming more of a relevant issue. I mean, if I have 10 friends, I'd say seven out of 10 are struggling with infertility, um, male, female. It's really so much more common. And we've had on different fertility specialists and I'm trying to make it, again, I'm not God here. I'm not trying to be the only one, but I am trying to just make it so much more known and common. It's not just you. It's not just one person who's struggling with this, with postpartum depression, anxiety, PMAD, you know, all these different things. It's so much more relevant than I think people realize. And I also think that someone like you posting on social media and just making it more known, it's validating for these people. Oh, it's not just me having a lot of anxiety becoming a mom or trying to get pregnant. Absolutely. No, I'm so glad to see that. I mean, and women come out of the woodworks, right? Always, it takes one hand- to raise, right? For one person to say, I struggled for the rest of the group to say, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. And one of the things that we can talk about in terms of treatment is not only how helpful individual therapy is, right? Definitely. I will always tell everybody, everybody should be in treatment, you know, have a therapist, but group support Mm. for this purpose is in my opinion, one of the most strongest modalities to help improve somebody's mental health. Because the minute you feel you're not alone and somebody else knows that feeling when they were in the ultrasound room, how the ultrasound tech looked at them before they got the doctor to come back and tell you there was no heartbeat. There's nothing like not having to explain it to somebody else at dinner, right? And so group therapy, reach out. If anybody's listening and needs help, I am just such a believer in putting people in the same cohorts of what they're going through together with others to feel better. Yep. Absolutely. And look, I try as much as possible to connect all my friends who just had babies. I have a lot of friends um, who, you know, have three, four, five month olds. And I'm like, great, you just had a baby. I'm putting you in this little group with them. Go to dinner. I mean, just having a friend, it doesn't have to be infertility. It could be just new moms and just grouping them together and saying like, talk about this. You're going through the same struggles. I, like yourself, try to really be this like person who's like grouping people together. So can you explain to us as far as the difference between postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression? What is the difference? Yeah, it's true. I want to also just add one thing that's missing from PMADs that I like to educate on is the baby blues. I want to just say that 80% of women from the minute the baby's born to two weeks after experience the baby blues. I mean, like, did everyone hear? I said 80%, which is like, the sadness and the overwhelm and the anxiety and the crying for no reason, drop of a hat, even at a sappy commercial, this is a hormonal shift. And I just sort of want to 
get right. that out there. Yeah. You know, if women are struggling and we're going to talk about how and why, meaning how often are you crying? How often do you feel anxious? How often can't you get out of bed? The onset, the duration, the frequency, these are the ways in which us clinicians are trying to understand. Is there a PMAT at stake, right? Or sort of at here, present, or is this just an unbelievable psychological shift in sort of the matrescence time period, which I'm happy to explain. But, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety are really different, yet often they're comorbid, mm -hmm. meaning they exist together. Yep. Postpartum anxiety, perinatal anxiety is louder and noisier. And postpartum depression, perinatal depression often sits underneath. It's more dark, right? So I like to think about depression is more low mood, sadness, helplessness, hopelessness, and anxiety is more of this constant worry, this intrusive thought kind of worry, can't turn off my brain, cannot stop over-functioning, can't sleep, these kinds of things. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. And it seems as though postpartum anxiety is probably what a lot of people are talking to me about. And I think people don't realize that there is this anxiety component. They think of it's depression and they're like, but I'm not depressed, but I can't stop worrying and thinking and I can't sleep. And I'm, it's almost like this like hyper personality. Um, but you don't hear the Absolutely. term as much. You know what? And there we go again. Like you just sort of nail all of the conversations that used to happen both in didactics at the motherhood center and certainly now in all of my peer supervision groups that I have as well, which is that perinatal anxiety is 100% the new postpartum depression in that it's so much noisier. I think the pandemic had a little bit to do with this, right? That the perfectionistic tendencies, the need to control, that OCD. again, the need for predictability. Yep. There's a lot of OCD component to the health anxiety piece mm -hmm. of, of what the pandemic was. But you know, so often people would walk into my office and be like, I'm here because something's not right, but I don't feel depressed, so I'm confused. And I think you're saying the same thing where we really, the minute I hear somebody say something like, I can't master sleep training or the wake window is off and it ruined my day, I always am thinking there might be a perinatal sort of situation happening here with a PMAD. Can you experience this if you're not actually the one carrying your child, if you're using yes. a surrogate? Such a beautiful question. I just wrote an article for a publication about this for okay. non-caring parents. It's at Hatch, where I really sort of tried to explain and make space for the fact that once the baby comes home, you're dealing with all the same issues, right? All the same worries, all the same pressures, all the same concerns. Absolutely. Non-birthing parents all the time can experience PMATs. Yep. Yes. And we had... Um you know, people come on the podcast and talk about surrogacy and egg donation and sperm donation. And I think it doesn't matter, you know, you're still raising a child. And I think that's what people need to know. It's get rid of that whole stigma of, you know, whether it's your egg or your sperm or you're the one who carried it. This is still you. And it's a new whole element for your family. I do want to bring up again, eventually um, just having a healthy relationship. But one thing I wanted to ask you. So, in, as far as PMAD, anxiety, depression, all these different things, is this something that you are really suggesting people treat with medication, looking into hormones? What I know that you really believe in a more holistic approach. What is your approach as far as treatment? Yeah, such a great question. Again, so many modalities of treatment, thank goodness, right? Because not there's no one size fits all. So I am a big believer in individual therapy and it works for it depends on the severity, I should say, the acuity, right, of yeah. the PMAD. So we use clinical assessments like the Edinburgh, it's called the EPDS, yep. um, a 30-point questionnaire that helps us understand 
where really mom is on the scale. Then there's also sort of the consultation piece, right? Where we can understand, are they more moderate, severe, or mild, right? And that also helps me place people into buckets in terms of what they need. So yes, always individual therapy. Then many women are more acute and do need medication. Maybe they also have a, they have a risk factor of having a PMAD. There's genetic history, family history. Maybe there's trauma, capital T or lowercase. Maybe there's financial stress. Maybe there's something totally out of their control that they absolutely need medication for. And I love working with reproductive psychiatrists. I think I can't even believe, I hope everyone here listening has even heard of reproductive psychiatrists. I don't think they have. This is a specialist that treats women during and after and before pregnancy with medications that are safe for the fetus as well as for breastfeeding. And there's so much awesome literature. So absolutely, I am always referring to reproductive psychiatrists but that also doesn't always mean that that's forever. And it also doesn't always mean that there aren't more things we can do from a more holistic approach that also can improve someone's mental health, right? So sometimes it's social groups. Sometimes it's going to a class that that auntie's hosting, right? So that a mom can be around and learn how to engage with moms and focus on their child. These are some things that people come to treatment and they're like, I don't get it. How do you talk? And, and it's hard. It's hard. I've been yeah, there. It's yeah. really hard. But, but there's anxiety there. And if a mom doesn't feel like they have the space to talk about it, that's challenging. There's support groups like we talked about, right? But from a more holistic approach, anything in my opinion that can help a mom feel nurtured and mothered, yep. you're not surprised to hear, yep. like acupuncture to relax their nervous system, or yep. maybe it's yoga or meditation to help them combat anxiety. Maybe it's diet and exercise to release endorphins. I'm in the business of it all sounds Try awesome. It all. If yep. It works. yep, absolutely. And look, I think therapy is so individualized. So what works for one person might not work for the other. One thing that you said as far as medication and you know these reproductive psychiatrists, which I'm going to look into, I don't know enough about them, but just because you're placed on medication does not mean you have to be on that medication for the rest of your life. And I think that's something people need to realize helping yourself, that's okay. It's okay to help yourself. And that doesn't mean you're going to have to do it through your child's entire life. You might just need it for a few months to take the edge off and just get through this huge change in your life. I think everything you're saying is extremely important. I have one more question for you, even though I do believe I could do 20 episodes, which, you know, let's talk about that. We might have to do another one. So you don't just work with the mom. You also work with the couple. And I have a lot of patients who wrote in with just concerns of a balance and balancing out motherhood with a career, friendships, family. Do you have any advice for maybe not just how to balance it all? Cause there's really no possible way to balance it all, but as a couple, how to strengthen your relationship while also struggling with you have a new child and all the stress that comes with that. Yeah, I love this. I love partner work. Um, I love, love couples work. I cannot also tell you how often I am getting my patients' partners in treatment. Listen, you said it really well. We go from being partners to parents. That's a shift. That's a new identity. So add on to like that overwhelm that every mom feels. I work or I work at home. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a daughter-in-law. I'm a friend. And now you're parents together from just being partners. That too is a stressor. And I think anybody who thinks it's easy and that it's just blissful 
is not telling the truth. And so back to that sort of dialectical approach that we use, it's DBT, yep. it's a form of treatment that we use that helps us tolerate that two opposing things can exist at the same time. It's like, I love my partner and I miss my old life. I love my baby and I miss my old life at the same time. These two things can exist together. There's no shame. It doesn't mean we're bad, but it does mean that as parents, we do need space to find each other, to connect again. What if I love my baby, I love my partner, and I'm too touched out at the end of the night to be intimate? We have to talk about these real, real, real things that come up in the postpartum and throughout parenting that impact a relationship. Absolutely. And I love how you didn't use the word but. You said, I feel this way and I feel this way. It's choosing your words as a mom or a parent. You know, I think so many people are embarrassed to talk about things or I think a lot of people think, okay, once the baby's born, give it a few months and then things will calm down and then we're going to be great. But even addressing your relationship, your friendships ahead of time, I can only assume those are just strong ways to like build a proper foundation for it in the future, correct? Absolutely. And then all part of the mental load, right? Like this idea that it's all on mom to figure out all these multiple identities. Yeah. That's another thing. And it leads to some of this PMAD work. So if we could talk about yep. the mental load, for example, right, which also would include calling Andy, usually on mom's list, not partners, right? That's something that maybe would be garnering resentment. And we want to bring partner in, I'm sure, to your treatments too, right? And yeah, absolutely. know how it's going. Yeah. yeah, look, sometimes I bring in nanny, mom, dad, sibling. It's not just the mom. And I think also a lot of our parents work. And, you know, if I see a dad in the room, I am running to them to get them involved. A, to take a little bit of pressure off the mom. But B, it's not just the mom who's speaking with the child all day. Ideally, it's all these different parents, caretakers. The nanny might be extremely involved. So getting everybody involved in this. Liz, this is incredible. Again, I do have so many more questions. I, we will do a second episode as long as you've got time. We're going to make it work. Where can our listeners find you? Um, I know you did mention briefly you're with Elizabeth. Instagram, can you tell us where that we can find you? In Instagram. Thank you. A new website. Hopefully that's coming in November. If I can ever figure Yay. out how to find the right balance on social. So we'll be talking about that, but I'm really excited Perfect. to be launching this, this, this content platform, hopefully this winter called with Elizabeth, which will allow me to have more of an opportunity to support women outside of just the therapeutic um, setting. So that's education and talks like this, which you're going to be coming on to and, and coming to help my mom's feel less anxious and less alone during the time period too. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. You are creating a community that I really strive to do. And I think that's why we created this podcast to have different professionals in their field share their knowledge with us. Um, I'm happy to do it for you. So I look forward to speaking with you again soon, Liz. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking With Tata podcast. Please subscribe and follow along wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talking With Tata and our website, talkingwithtata.com.